today on EdgeFX. It's always going to be end up being about the stories about people around mm-hmm. the animals and how everything's all interconnected and trying to talk about those interconnections. Mm-hmm. And we can find all kinds of biological reasons, but really finding emotional reasons for why it's important to keep these creatures mm-hmm. around. Brett Ashley Kaplan speaks with Deke Weaver, performance artist, writer, and professor of new media in the College of Fine Arts at the University of Illinois. They discuss his lifelong project, The Unreliable Bestiary, an arc of 26 stories about animals, our relationships with them, and the worlds they inhabit. So I want to hear a little bit more about how you came up with the idea for 26 different endangered animals. I've seen all of them, as you know, and among all of the animals in the world, how did you choose monkey, elephant, wolf, bear, and now coming up very soon, tiger? First of all, the bestiary idea is like eventually probably what's going to come next is either prairie or uh, tree, you know? So it's it's endangered animals and habitats or creatures, you know, like trees, you know? So it's... Um, I guess where it started from is realizing that a lot of my work would always have an animal in it in some pivotal role. And it might be, it might be something as basic as like in the Kip Knutson show, like right off the bat, it's like, uh, Kip is, he's a hockey player, hockey coach, and he ends up getting really drunk and he's trying to take his wife to the hospital because she's pregnant, but he doesn't want to let on that he's drunk and he backs over their puppy and sort of like so right and then later on there's like um talking pheasants and you know so sometimes there it would be something where like it would be something as basic and grounded and real as a puppy and then other times it might they might take on these magic realist sort of elements like a a talking pheasant but it was kind of realizing that so there was animals in pretty much everything I was writing, everything I was all these different shows that I was making. And it's probably connected to I mean, at its most basic, it's just probably just trying to get my dad's attention. You know, he was a um he is a ornithologist. He got like up until second grade, it was just all about grad school for him for so for me it was just watching my dad get his phd in wildlife management natural resources management and it's probably where he felt calmest and most um at home was out in the wild and it was just sort of like as a little kid it was just able to like my eyes are going on me now but they used to be pretty good you know so they used to be able to like see things and point them out and Mm -hmm just literally get his attention with seeing animals. So that's, you know, if I'm psychoanalyzing myself, that's probably at the root of all of it. But the actual framing of the whole project of this big semi-audacious idea of doing 26 different performances um, or events, it was, it was also just sort of thinking about like the mirroring of things that felt they felt kind of endangered to me, you know, sort of uh, um, like endangered, like the natural world being something that people were becoming increasingly disconnected from, but also the idea of the live, you know, live performance being something that was um, Mm, rarer and rarer. The feeling that I would get similar sort of, they felt like similar 
portals or passageways to these sort of connections with spirit or with connections with just a feeling that there's things that are much, much bigger than our workaday quotidian lives, you know. So I've had those feelings like really blown away by live performances from all kinds of different people. Not all the time, you know. Sometimes I feel like for some reason like people are willing to go, you know, they can spend an hour and a half or two hours watching a terrible movie, you know, like, yeah, whatever, you know, B-movie, whatever. Everybody feels like part of their lives have been taken from them if they go to a bad theater show, you mm -hmm. know, like two hours of bad theater is just like, I could have done so much with those two <laughs> I hours. I watched you know? a crappy movie. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or read a mediocre book, you know. Yeah. But it, it's, um, but I feel like the the times, like if I see one out of a hundred, like theater shows, and one of them is like, one of them will be transcendent, you know, like really, truly, like out of my body, transformative, amazing, sort of. And seeing a couple of those is why I keep going back, you mm -hmm. know, and. And it's hard in a place like this that doesn't, it's not in the blood as it is in New York or up in Chicago. Well, or, one of the things that's been remarkable to me in seeing all of your shows is that they've all been like so, like they really touched a nerve, you know? I mean, we waited on our picnic blanket for hours to get into Wolf and Elephant was completely packed in a huge space and you know, bear, there were lots and lots of people for many, many different performances. Like it's clear that that whole sense of performativity being endangered, live performance being endangered is something that people feel and miss and want to engage with, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, so. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, I mean, Jen and I talk about this all the time. I just like how, I mean, I, I really feel really lucky to have people that care enough to come see my stuff here you know and it's I've been in plenty of places where that's not the case you mm -hmm. know it's like where you're like you really are humping it to try to get audiences mm -hmm. and um so I mean part of like elephant kicking that whole thing off is just being able to have the support of the university and being able to kind of like do really imagine these things on a big scale. Well, Go that's, ahead. yeah, I want to jump in here because that was something I really wanted to ask you about. I mean, as I've seen each performance, it always strikes me that there's so many multifaceted parts to them, and they're also completely different from each other. So starting backwards, Bear not only has a moving through the actual space where bears might have been and are being invited to return to, mm. But it also has a very literary ending, right? You, I mean, in addition to being a performance artist and a video artist and an actor and, you know, all of this stuff and your, your pieces overall incorporate dance and all kinds of different artistic elements. It's also very literary because you wrote a story mm -hmm. at the end. And to me that it felt like the scale of bear was so very different from the scale of elephant or the scale of wolf in part because it ends in a narrative. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you about that that short story, which tells the story of a man who loses his partner and his cat on the same day. So going back to the puppy. The <laughs> right, yeah. right. Um, and so there's an animal in it, but it's not a bear. 
And then as the story progresses, he discovers that, in fact, and maybe it's prefiguring tree in a sense, his heart is made of wood. And it's a vibrant heart, but it's made of wood. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, like, I can see a lot of resonances between your general central ideas in that story. But I'm wondering if you can sort of articulate how that relates specifically to Bear and to all of your other projects. Usually with these things, it, 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 I can't really say that it starts with writing, but I know that somewhere really quickly there's going to be writing involved, you know, and sometimes it's, it's building. If I'm thinking, I mean, all of it ends up feeling like this thing of weaving a, you know, mm-hmm. weaving a story, you know, like making some sort of quilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's a, you know, there's such a thing as an elliptical quilt. Just, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's, but it, it like, like having things that return. I don't know if you've ever read, there's a book by Keith Johnstone called Impro and it's, he, he wrote it in the mid sixties or something like that, but it's sort of about theater and storytelling. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he's talking about is just like narrative and just how, you know, if you've got somebody that just kind of like says this and this and this and this and just goes off in a line, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really happen. You know, there's mm-hmm. no there's mm-hmm. no there there. But if you start reincorporating things, you know, even three year olds will end up kind of like, and now are we done? Because, <laughs> because of like, you know, when you incorporating something that is introduced at the back and it comes back at the end and there's some sort of transformation, like it's like that E.O. Wilson thing. It's kind of like. Sometimes it feels like story and narrative is like part of the DNA. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like in my mind, wolf and bear and like all these different things are going to get like walking through the prairie, like all of that stuff, like walking to the prairie for, you know, for the fall section where you're walking, 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 and it's mostly quiet and then ending up in this, in this weird den where you're quite close and, for some people, it was very hot, and some people it wasn't. But that walk was there was a preparation that was happening there mm-hmm. for like how people were going to receive that story at the end, and everybody's going to receive it differently. But it's but still there is kind of like a a contemplative sort of like if people were going to let themselves do that, some people didn't. You mm-hmm. know, some people were just like, "This is just a stupid walk." You know? <laughs> But, you know, things that you'd pick up along the way or the framing at the very beginning of, like, we're calling back the bears, it's 2020, this has happened, this has happened. And then and then coming to that last story where, you know, for 20 minutes, there's no bears. Where's the bear? Where's the bear? And then there's the bear at the very end. Mm-hmm. And But just kind of juxtaposing these sort of, like, you know, depression and <laughs> cat suicide. And, I mean, and oak hearts and cancer and and um up against something like just walking in the woods and i i feel like that's i don't know again for me that feels kind of like it's that juxtaposition of the live story and also the natural world and Mm -hmm. how those are both these portals to these different ways of understanding ourselves or just those moments where you're i don't know i don't i can count those moments for myself maybe on two hands, you know, Mm -hmm. um, some bigger than others, but just really just kind of like, oh man, so big, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
It was almost like the story at the end was a kind of counter to the opening, the whole, I mean, the whole walking and looking for the bears and thinking about listening about the bears and inviting the bears back. That was all opening up, right? Mm -hmm. And then the ending in the tight little den and you had grown your beard for what, a year? Mm -hmm. So you were looking pretty ursine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And like there was a whole, like that sort of felt like a closure and maybe part of the resonance between the story and the project of the bears is about things being open and trying to open up, but then recognizing that the way we live our lives is actually pretty closed off to those experiences a lot of the time. Well, and that last story from that fall section really was based on something that happened to me, you know, and it was one of the things about the the bear fall thing was that it it felt like a standalone story, Mm -hmm. but it was connecting with the spring Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the stories that got told in the spring. And part of that was because I split those up because with Wolf, and this is where the weird sort of practical stuff sort of mm-hmm, comes up, you mm-hmm. know, like like for now, Tiger is this thing that's much very, it's going to be pretty intimate for most shows. And it's partially because I've been away for the year. Jen hasn't been able to work on it. A lot of people that have worked on these past shows have all moved and Mm -hmm. they've all gone in other places. And one of the things that was starting to feel frustrating about Bear was not able to raise enough money to, you know, it's basically if you're bringing somebody in, it's like you got to put them up, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, you know, if you're going to be putting them up for a week, that's something, but three weeks is a lot, you know, and if you're doing that with five people. So it ends up becoming this money thing and, and also just trust, you know, being able to trust your the people that you're working with. So Tiger is really just a couple people that I've worked with in the past, you know, mm-hmm. Susan Becker and Melissa Picorni, who I've never worked with before on these shows, but we work together like at Art and Design Forever, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Jacob Ross, who is Joel Ross's brother, and he's doing the sound on it. So anyway, in Wolf, what ended up happening is like we put people on the bus, you know, 40, 45 minute ride, whatever. And that was all kind of timed out. So we knew about how long it would take. We knew it would take about this long to get on, do the walk and then get them into the barn. What we didn't take into account was that on a couple of nights, it literally took 30 minutes for everyone to pee. (laughs) Right. How could you predict? Exactly. So it's kind of like. But it was a very real thing because we, it ended up like people got off the bus. There was this tension building, you know, this building of tension of going into the woods. Are we going to actually see wolves? What the hell's going on? You know, right. people were genuinely getting nervous, you right. know, and then walking as the sun is getting dark and telling them to do this thing that they don't really do that often. It just pay attention, be quiet, watch this color get sucked out of the trees, you know, and literally all of a sudden you're walking in the dark and then every once in a while you'd see these things that might, are they wolves? No, they're people, but you know, and, and then so, and then you're walking up to the barn, there's that weird sound, you know, Mm -hmm. and you finally got in the barn and it's like, it was like the balloon, the air went out of the balloon with everybody needing to sit there and pee. So really the idea was to like have five minutes looking at the stuff and then go right into the narrative that was happening on mm-hmm. the third floor, mm-hmm. second floor. And so with that gone, it was 
It changed the whole dynamic. It really did. And yeah. I felt personally, I felt like I needed to like make things exciting and, you know, happen mm-hmm. and move quickly and and I can see that in the performance in the videos where it's kind of like, uh, that's rushing and mm. doing all this stuff. So in Bear, literally, with I, I was thinking like, okay, I'm going to take that 30 minutes and I'm going to make it four months. Mm. So just literally mm-hmm. split the, mm-hmm. the story and whether people were going to be able to follow it or not, I, I wasn't sure, but mm-hmm. it was like I was just going to try to really you know, separate them mm-hmm. and kind of do, and also just kind of like going in with the whole idea of like the bear's hibernation cycle, right? which is based, you know, that whole, this is what a lot of anthropologists think. That's what the Christian myth is based on, you know, is this, these very, very, very old bear stories. They think the bear stories are some of the mm. oldest stories on the planet, you know, with death in the fall, resurrection in the spring. So, it was working with that idea of of cycles, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and um, and it, uh, ultimately it felt like doing the three sections: the fall section, the winter section, and the and the spring section. A bit, a bit off too much, you know. Like it didn't feel the spring section felt less resolved and less satisfying. It, it just was. All of us were, it was too mm-hmm. overworked. It was too many things, too many. Too much. Too many parts. Right. Yeah. Interesting. But I yeah. like the idea of the sort of the seasonal and the cyclical and connecting with stories. And that, I mean, I was also thinking about the way in which all of your projects are simultaneously sort of local and global at once. Mm-hmm. And Bear is like particularly local in mm-hmm. that you were, you know, the, I love the story of sort of inviting the bears back. That's just so fabulous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, of course, there are, you know, there's no native elephants here and there's no native tigers here. But the whole idea of sort of the mythical and how there's certainly elephants here in zoos and there's elephants here in people's imaginations and there's elephants in kids stories. And there was the elephant in North Dakota. And, you know, so that all of the animals have a kind of global and local all at once, which does connect with the whole sort of planetary dimension of everything really that you're doing. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And that's always the thing of like trying to figure out how to how to connect these creatures that aren't native to here Mm -hmm. with. So why does that why does that matter to the soccer mom or me or, you know, and, and that's always for me really interesting trying to figure out like, you know, like for tiger, like one of the first stats I kind of ran up against because of Chris green was just, there's more good, more tigers kept as pets in the state of Texas than there are tigers left in the wild. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like stuff like that where it's sort of like we're in a really, wow, really so strange time, and uh, weird. yeah, completely weird. Yeah. And um, another thing that I, you know, just like anecdotally, like I, like I had this World Wildlife Fund calendar, all tigers, right? All pictures. They're basically <laughs> like pinups of tigers, you know? <laughs> but it's like every photo credit it was shot in Montana. Oh wow. Like, wow where you know and the whole idea of like what was it hurricane andrew down in miami with a 
pythons getting into the Everglades. And so there's this battle for the the top of the uh, food chain. It was like alligator python battles, you know, it's like, and that local global thing, it's kind of like, it really, it really is. Um, there's some stories that are just like uh, doing the bear show is like, I wrote a bunch of it at a residency in Montana, you know, mm -hmm. like near uh, Red Rock Lakes National Wildlife Refuge. It's like the Taft Environmental Humanities Center or something. Mm -hmm. It's through U University of Utah. But those folks living there, they have to deal with grizzly bears every day mm -hmm. and not in any sort of sort of abstract, cute way. They're just like, they're in their backyards, literally. And so they have to be, when they go outside at night, or, you know, at dusk, you just got to be careful. You got to be careful. Yeah. And it's, it's just kind of like it's a you got, you know, living with bears nearby, especially those big guys are just like you have to change the way you live. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be in trouble mm -hmm. or maybe you won't be in trouble, but the bear will be in trouble, mm -hmm. you know, because if the bear does something weird, they're going to put the bear down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So telling like a lot, I, I feel like a lot of the stories that I end up putting together, they operate in this sort of, you know, this agricultural suburbia or wherever mm -hmm. we live, you know, it works here. But if I told the same stories in Montana in that place, it's not right. the irony of just kind of like, we haven't heard beige for 200 years. Like, well, there was one last night. Right. You know, it's right. really a different experience. Yeah. So here we can all kind of like, laugh and it's like oh there's not really bears there's not really wolves but there there are right you know and it's a totally different experience there's no irony mm -hmm. you know there and it's um so some of it might work but there's big sections of it where the whole premise of the performance probably won't mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know yeah no that makes a lot of sense that it would be very different depending you know on where you are and what's exactly. on what's happening yeah I'm wondering about your process because each of the animal projects so far feels like, like I'm thinking specifically with elephant, there were so many different stories being told in elephant. And it felt like as you were doing the research, there must have been a zillion million more stories that you didn't get to tell. And since your work is very collaborative, you're working with your wife, Jen, and you're working with David Hayes and lots of other people those who just came to me because I know them, but yeah. I know there's a whole bunch of people who, you know, work with you. How do you decide what to include and what not to include and what gets left on the cutting room floor and what goes in? Well, it's probably just kind of like for most of these things, it's been not rushing. I mean, the only one that kind of got rushed was monkey, mm -hmm. you know, and monkey had a lot less research involved in it, but elephant and the others had, a lot of reading, a lot of like site visits and, you know, talking to people, interviews, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Not as much as, a, you know, some epic journalist. It's not like Anna DeVere Smith, like interviewing 300 people. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. um, but it, it's, it's probably just casting the net pretty widely for as long as I can. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it's just sort of like waiting for some sort of story to kind of like be a spine, mm -hmm. you know, that ends up becoming like, oh, well, that resonates with that, that connects with that. And it almost kind of like it ends up becoming like this 
thing that you can hang muscles off of and you can end up building something out of you know in building the thing it's um you know i don't whoever said it just like you got to kill your babies it's just sort of like you have to there's the collecting of the stories and just writing really fat and then just being able to kind of be finding the the through line for it and mm-hmm. be able to not be too precious about cutting mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you know and looking at elephant i i could see that there's things that should have been cut well looking back on all of them i could see things that were that should have been cut none of them to me felt like too long or baggy or you know well, they and that's, all seemed that's, like that's you know, great yeah that's i mean great. that's what i meant that it seemed like there were there must be so many stories behind the stories just well, cuz you already yeah. included so many stories and yet right you know one can think of them percolating out in all kinds of other directions that you didn't have time to take you know absolutely yeah and that was like one of the wolf biologists was you literally said where do you stop you right know? because I mean, these these creatures are attached to us all the way to the dawn of time, you know, mm-hmm. literally. And so it's so the stories they are they're it's kind of bottomless for all of them. Mm-hmm. But I think more and more they're becoming well. I know Tiger is very strongly about climate change, but it's specifically about you know, and it's also just trying to find the stories that will resonate on lots of different levels. Mm-hmm. So they might end up being a very local story, but have it be able to, like, like Tiger is going to be, it's the site specificity of it is going to be the tour. Mm-hmm. And I think I've already told you this, but it's like the tour being down the Mississippi. So mm-hmm. starting up in Bemidji, Minnesota, mm-hmm. and then kind of making its way all the way down to Louisiana. And mm-hmm still knock on wood hopefully new orleans mm-hmm. down the mississippi and some of its tributaries but mirroring and talking about the ganges and tigers in mm-hmm. india you mm-hmm. know and then at the mouth of the ganges is it's the largest tidal delta in the world and at the edge of the mouth is the sunderbonds which is this the biggest mangrove forest in the world and it's right in there that there's this population of tigers that have been they're basically they're aqua cats. They swim, they hunt, they fish. Wow. They'll stalk a canoe for hours, like just swimming along like a like literally like an, an alligator. And um, they've been eating people for hundreds of years. And wow. so there's this whole culture that's been grown up around living in that area and doing what you need to do. But going into the forest, you, I mean, it, I don't know if it still exists, but it, in the 90s, the Indian Forestry Department, anybody going into the Sonderbonds, you were, your group was required to have a shaman, you know, as a way to make sure everybody was doing, walking properly, moving properly, doing all the rituals properly to make sure that people wouldn't be eaten, you know. And so it's like trying to imagine that from our position here, you know, mm-hmm. in or trying to imagine what it's like living in a place. I mean, I don't know what it's like living with real predators as a an actual threat. Yeah, know? yeah. Like a daily threat. And like where to make a living, you have to go and you have to do all these things to just literally appease the gods, mm-hmm. you know. And knowing that that's happening right now, you know. Even while they're in danger. Like it's also, right. you know, it's interesting that 
of course, they're predators, but they're also endangered predators. And that right. changes it a little bit, you know. Right. But then this is where it, this is the other kind of endangered thing that is is kind of like the Sunderbans and most of Bangladesh. Like there was a flood in Bangladesh in like, I don't know, like the late 70s or something. I'm not sure when it was, but it was like literally 70% of the country was flooded, you know, because it's so low lying. And so with the Sunderbans and Bangladesh being just barely 2.5 meters above sea level, like, so they're basically saying there's not going to be any tiger habitat there at all in 2070. And if there's no, there's no tiger habitat. There's no human habitat, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. And, so what are they going to eat? Right. <laughs> Well, <laughs> nobody's going to eat anything because nobody's going to live there. Cause right. It's like it's literally flooded. Right, know? right. So that landscape is very similar to the Mississippi, you know, mm-hmm. Delta. And, mm-hmm. um, and so it's just trying to find. Yeah, global connections. Right. And, yeah. right. Global connections with the very, very local personal stories, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, Do you incorporate the stories in Life of Pi? Of you know, a boy and a boat and a ti- with a tiger. No, I mean not. You know, with with some of the stuff, it's it's like I don't really want to. You know, I think Kipling. I reference him a couple of mm-hmm. times, but generally, what does get referenced is in this particular one, and I think the other ones too is just sort of like the difference between how the cartoon creature and the cultural creature rests in our imagination as opposed to the real thing Mm -hmm. and how hugely different they are. And so I think what ends up happening in tigers, there's this layering of happening of like of Kipling, of the jungle book of Disney, of Disney feeding it back to India, India, like eating it and feeding back out to us and money and, Mm -hmm. And you do know. you talk about the Texans who have tigers as pets? A little bit. Um, how do they hand like how do they handle their tigers? Like what? <laughs> how do they? Leash, you know, it's, uh, it just it's, seems. Yeah, I I mean that's kind of how like do they the, not get eaten by their pets? Well, I mean, and that's that's a story that got dropped. You know, uh, there, the story of um, I'm forgetting his name, but it was this guy in in Ohio that that in 2011 you might have might remember this no, but he had, he was a Vietnam vet and he um he was kind of an animal hoarder and he had he was having trouble with his wife he just got out of jail for some arms possession thing and nobody really knows how this happened what the timeline is but he he rubbed chicken parts all over his body shot himself and and somehow all the cages of his place were open and so oh my God. Like the, they brought in the like state troopers because what ended up happening is like roaming the hills of Ohio right along I-70 in Zanesville were like 18 Bengal tigers. Oh, my God. Know, like 12 African lions, grizzly bear, pumas, wolves, um, like uh, uh, macaques and the, you know, these guys came in and shot them all, killed oh, them all. Oh, my God. And so there's these just breathtakingly awful pictures of, like, these. It was like somebody just came in and shot out a zoo and just these huge animals, just, like, their carcasses oh, just laying God, on the Oh, God, that's so horrible. Yeah. But at that point, and this stuff, I, I'm kind of, like, 
I'm interested in like how the stuff gets all bottled up, but ultimately I really am more, I mean, what ended up happening is like at that point, Ohio had almost absolutely no laws at all about possessing exotic animals, you know? And after that, lots of changes happened, mm -hmm. you know, because it was so public. It was like big articles in, in GQ, Vanity Fair, the times, it was like a huge thing. It was a horrible image, you know? So it changed a lot, but it's all state law, you know. So, mm -hmm. so, so as you're finding these stories and you're finding the through lines, things are being dropped, things are being incorporated. Right. Do you, as you go through the process of creating each piece, do you feel like you have a sense of where it's going before you start, or do you feel like each piece emerges as you go? Like when I look at you know something really complex like elephant, I can't imagine that you could have seen the endpoint before you started you know it, it depends on what you want to say was the end point like if you want to talk about the end point being like the stock pavilion and a big old elephant puppet walking down that's almost like the first image i had mm, you yeah. know with the video and that right like, but like the video and the claymation story of the, the right and that and thing and like i mean that it's so incredibly rich and like, you know, as I look at it as an artistic piece, I'm like, how do you even come up with something so big, much less all 26 animals? Like, I guess I'm asking, how much do you plan ahead of time and how much emerges as you go? Well, a lot emerges as I go, you mm. know, and a lot like, you know, elephant on that scale just would not have been possible without the creative capital grant you know just mm -hmm. like so some of this is like what's possible with right like a budget you know right. and then some of it's also what's possible with personnel you know like having somebody like andy warfel work on elephant was just sort of like i mean he has worked on that scale like commercially a number of times I, that's his job so having other people that are able to take the ideas and make them even grow even more is like I mean that's that's the hope and the dream of all collaborative mm -hmm. stuff you know mm -hmm. where you you you're working with people that are really good at what they do and they can take ideas and run with them and 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 really transform it into something that's beyond what you could have done as an individual so that was absolutely happening there and there was you know there was a bunch of different things that got initial meetings with Andy, you know, would get cut. So it's, I don't know, a process. It's just sort of like, there's no one way, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it would be sort of like stories that would come up and then spinning out of those stories would be images, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And then, so what would happen with the images? Would they be images that would be used in a narrative or would they be, I mean, one of the things that ended up happening with, Elephant was taking that hero story and telling it three or four different times, mm -hmm. different ways. Mm -hmm. So once with the claymation, mm -hmm. once with the character of the old woman, mm -hmm. kind of like who was the museum curator, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, her just actually telling the story mm -hmm. and going to the museum, which was more like a, a thrift shop. Mm -hmm. And then another time where it's just like really stripped down, just like a video of a snowy blue night illinois cornscape you know mm -hmm. um and just kind of like telling the story with 
weird sound and very stripped down words, mm-hmm. you know, graphic mm-hmm. graphics. And through that sort of like telling and retelling and retelling from different angles from like, cause those different sorts of media are going to push different buttons, you know, like hearing that sound, the really beautiful bell sound that Chris Peck made for that video of just like the slow pan of the snowscape Mm -hmm. and just the really spare telling of hero getting shot 300 times of like, and the whole idea of like spindle cells, you know, and elephants and whales and humans, you know, just like Mm -hmm. the small group of creatures on the planet that as far as we know, have this sort of like tied in with self understanding and self-acknowledgement and community and and groups and it's a different way of thinking it's a different level of intelligence but just stripping it down to this very spare thing that almost feels it's not really radio but it has that sort of radio Mm -hmm. soundscape without the words so it ends up being this really cool contemplative medium Mm -hmm. which is really different than the sort of goofy semi-clown-like but straight interview of the woman the Mm -hmm. older woman you know that was like literally recording of her explaining this thing and that was also somehow funny right it was kind of comic yeah Yeah. but at the same time it's kind of not comic because at the same moment you're looking up at these big video images of like the gun that was used to Mm -hmm. shoot him and like the sort of awkwardness of her holding the bag made out of his skin you Mm -hmm. know and her talking about skinning the elephant and having elephant steak you know and and just imagining what a different time 1915 was where in a farm town where it's like if you're gonna have steak you gotta you gotta butcher the animal you know it's like really different for us which have been so far removed from our food you know yeah absolutely yeah so how are you seeing the resonances now that you've done five animals and you're working on tiger what kind of resonances are you seeing between all of the different pieces that you've already done and also between each performance and the people who have seen it and talked about it with you and like what kinds of resonances and sort of feedback are you getting? Well, it's a it's a little bit weird. It's going so slowly, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm doing these, they're turning out to be like, you know, Monkey was 2009 and then Elephant was 2010. But after 2010, it was 2013 for Wolf. 2016 and 17 for bear and now doing tiger this fall for 2019 so Mm -hmm. you know it's like this three-year thing and some of it i mean there's all kinds of levels of this you know because like people were so i mean not to be crass but it's real like after elephant people were coming up to me and it's like they had just had sex like their their face was just (laughs) flush they were just so like open really (laughs) excited you know and wolf was people were really excited to be part of it and some of these things have kind of started building this sort of strange mythology that seems to be taking like when david would oh that he was a ranger yeah and they really were like when he would walk he would like to walk from his house to the bus, you know, to the... In his outfit. In his outfit. And people uh-huh. would be... He literally had people say, thank you for your service at some point. <laughs> That's great. And, and, he would, and he was like... <laughs> I'm a landscape architect. But people... Have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then... But... And people have seen him in other parts of town. They're like, 
you work at that wolf sanctuary. <laughs> oh, wow. Literally. Wow. So there's people that literally, I don't know if it's worn off, but like wow, we really had people that really believed that there that we had released wolves in yeah. Allerton. Wow. Yeah, and that that because like no offense to the people in the wolf costumes, but you could tell that they were people in wolf costumes. Like that's true, but I don't think any like I can't really imagine thinking that they were actual wolves. No, but you can imagine somebody sort of telling the story and somebody mishearing mm, it mishearing and then it, telling right. it as like there are wolves in Allerton. Right, you know? right. I don't know if that's worn off, but it's like it was happening for wow. a while. You know, wow. I mean, we had our bus driver was convinced. That, that we had done wolves. this whole wolf thing, you know, because wow. he hadn't seen the dancers, you know, right. he never got to see them. Right. So, um, but that's, that's sort of like the history of performance anyway. It's yeah. like, there's so many things like from Dada that never got documented and it's all about, it's either some terrible grainy photograph and it's just people's stories about the thing of being mm -hmm. there, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's, that feels like part of it, you know? Right, right. What about like the interconnections between the the different animals that you've already done or that the or that you imagine doing? Well, I mean, one thing that's happening again with tiger is like bringing back the the whole idea of the the ranger, mm -hmm. you know, and the ranger being this person, this sort of. I mean, it's like watching the real rangers, you know, at Yellowstone or these or Isle Royal or. They're in this very strange position of being figures of authority, mm -hmm. but at the same time, they have to keep their mouths shut politically. You know, they really have to read their audience, and they're really reading this audience that changes every hour, you mm -hmm. know, like from very red Republican to very liberal hippie kids, you mm -hmm. know. But most of these rangers and like all the rangers I've met, they know what's happening in terms of like the environment, ecology and and they're in this weird sort of balancing act, trying to be this communicator to the public, but at the same time seeing what's happening and just kinda like I mean, a lot of the biologists which is another step past the ranger, mm -hmm. but it's like you know, it's scary times, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the ranger is showing up again with this. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the other thing that I think that's, it happens pretty regularly is there's a density of information that I hope, I hope isn't, isn't totally overwhelming. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of these stories and the information within the stories and the video and the sound and the, the whole experience, I really hope they're going to be kind of like, I mean, ideally, they'd be kind of like a dream, which would be start, you mm -hmm. know, you'd be revisiting it for mm -hmm. time afterwards. I don't know if that actually happens, but it's it's like that's what I hope. Yeah. You know? Are you imagining that they will be sort of archived and collected somehow? Like, you know, are there videos of each one? Like in the in the performance piece that you did at Allerton, which was kind of a compendium of all of the ones that had been done oh, up right. until that point. Right. There were like video clips of of a lot of the performances. I, I'm wondering, like, and I know we got the elephant book, which Malia really loves. Kind of, are you seeing it as like they're going to be archived as they build, so that well, someone could see them all together at some point? Yeah, that, that's the idea. Is like, um, 
make a book for each performance, mm-hmm. make a video for each performance. Mm-hmm. And the um and then for some of these other ones, you know, for we never really did it for well, we kinda did it for Elephant, but but for Wolf and Bear, you know, doing like a solo version mm-hmm. that you can tour and um because the thing with something like Elephant or you know, if if I was another person and was possibly more charismatic or whatever, be able to talk to maybe being able to do some of these big pieces other places might have been possible. But for whatever reason, it's, they've stayed site-specific as in like they've stayed here. So being able to do a solo version where I can take it to a theater, a movie, mm-hmm. a film festival, um, a living room, a um you know, classroom. So it's kind of like, like one of the things I, I really like thinking about with these different media is like, of course, it's not going to give you the actual experience of being in the stock pavilion or walking through the woods for wolf or, or bear. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was that, maybe you saw it, it was like the, um, that culture talk with Rick and oh, um, yeah. Pinsky, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And the one thing that really stuck with me was in a really cool way was just them. So they're all talking about these translations of the, Dante's Inferno, right? Yeah, right. The yeah. Inferno, yeah. Mm-hmm. So saying how kind of like, you know, dealing with translations of just sort of like, well, writing the Inferno in the Italian was not the end all be all. Right, right. So the platonic mm-hmm. ideal of the poem is up here. So maybe the possibility of like a Swedish translation might be actually truer in moments than the Italian. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. So in Wolf, there was a number of different things that would happen to the different groups that were going off in diff- on different trails. Mm-hmm. Not all of the groups would be able to see all those different things. You'd only see one of those things. Right. But in the video, you can see you can all, those see all of them. Things. Yeah. You know, or the in in the book, you might be you're able to read really carefully the mm-hmm. script, you know. So each medium or each iteration of the whole thing has got its strengths and whatever. Mm-hmm. So yes, the idea is to have a book for every performance, a video for every performance. And, you know, and, and the thing is like being able to keep shape-shifting with the technology. So it's like I've been, like, so the DVDs, like there's a bunch of different, not that many, but a, mm-hmm. a, a number of different university libraries that they have the DVDs, and I've mm-hmm. started making available like the digital files for them. And mm-hmm. there was a book uh, a couple of years ago put up by University of Michigan that Holly Hughes and uh, Yuna Chowdhury edited that was basically solo performances dealing with animals. Mm-hmm. And so they put, very cool. They had both monkey and a big chunk of elephant were in there and then they got scholars to write about the the work and because of being in that compendium every once like just recently like texas a&m they want to have the elephant dvd and so and i'm i'm literally talking like 10 it's not that many but it's it's available they're there yeah. Yeah, that's that's really good that there's some sense of archive. So, I guess last question. I really like the idea and I didn't know fully that you were going to switch from strictly animal into habitat. Mm-hmm. So, prairie, maybe trees. 
Mm-hmm. How does that feel to you to switch from an animal to a habitat? I mean, obviously, they're completely interrelated. And are you thinking like beyond tiger of other animals? Like I was thinking of the Yangtze River dolphin. It's a good candidate. <laughs> and I, my, my first contender was blue whale, but both a B and a W have been taken. Well, but, the, but, that's, <laughs> but with Yangtze River dolphin, exactly. you can touch upon whales right. and oceans. Like I'm wondering. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, or cetacean, you know, it's like where you could be doing yes. both whale and dolphin, yes. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's what this thing is really feeling like is because I'm not, you know, obviously, you know, monkey. There's like, I don't know. There's like 45 different monkey species mm-hmm. more. I don't know. Right. But right. it's like, so I'm kind of using these fairy tale. So it's, it's a pretty flexible it's a form. Flexible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But it's mostly, I mean, you know, early on you were asking about like how to choose these different things. Mm-hmm. And it's just starting basically with the idea of charismatic megafauna. Where mm-hmm. It's kind of like kind of starting with these cartoon, these animals that have sort of been the the superstars of our children's books and our zoos and, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and then going from there. And I don't know. So, you know, Yangtze River Dolphin could be, but I I like the idea of cetacean because I would love to Mm -hmm. do something about whales or orcas or, you know, whatever. Oh my God, that would be amazing. It would be so great. Yeah. And I've been doing so much research on whales. Count me in if you do whales. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And and same with uh, Jamie. Yeah, Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I I definitely have to get the seasickness pills, but, uh, (laughs) but, but, um, and you know, there's actually a guy that one of the biggest elephant researchers, I'm forgetting her name. But she was married to, she's divorced from him now, but he was the biggest blue whale expert. Well, he ended up doing a solo performance about whales. Ah, so, yes. Jamie told me about this. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like choosing them, I mean, I, maybe I might end up doing like swan, which, mm. you know, because my dad. Are they endangered? Trumpeter swans. Oh, I did you know? not know that. Okay. Yeah. Because um, your dad was an ornithologist, and he was one of the people that helped reestablish trumpeter swans back in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And so I've got, you know, I've got all these stories and photographs and stuff, literally from being a kid and like having a swan in my lap, mm-hmm. you know. And and some of these things are really more they they end up becoming these containers for. It's always going to be end up being about the stories about people around mm-hmm. the animals, you know, mm-hmm. and how everything's all interconnected and trying to find, talk about those interconnections mm-hmm. and and trying to find emotional reasons for why, like we can find all kinds of biological reasons, but really finding emotional reasons for why it's important to keep these creatures mm-hmm. around or, but with that it's like that's one of the frustrations i have with sort of animal studies stuff is like you know i remember going to one conference and you know it's like okay yes the chicken industry is horrible but i don't know if the answer is like free the chickens because where are the chickens going to live you know it's like the habitat is right just as important more important you know and so just starting to think not starting, it's probably some old 60s or 70s Gaia sort of idea of just like 
the habitat is its own living, breathing mm-hmm. thing, you mm-hmm. know, and all the parts, all the creatures, it's all necessary mm-hmm. for uh, for it all to work, you know. Right. And the habitat of the prairie or, you know, trees or whatever. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's also the whole planet is yeah. obviously becoming uninhabitable. Right. And so like it's that again, it's the local global where it's like each piece of it, you can't really see the whole way in which everything is ultimately interconnected and that's why i think your work brings out so many important resonances between things that we might not otherwise see well that's that's the hope you know but i mean part of this is also just time and age and so i think some of the stuff that might end up being becoming a thing is just like trying to find you know sometimes doing them as performances but some of them might end up being things where they become like curricular or something like mm-hmm. where it's sort of like okay let's put this open to high schools and elementary schools and like okay you guys make a 5 minute performance about beetles or you know whatever mm-hmm. it's going to be mm-hmm. you know and then find some way of archiving them online and having them some way of it being something that connects kids mm-hmm. with this bigger idea and just also just ways of, you know, because if I'm doing this every three years, 26 times three, I'm probably not going to make it. <laughs> you, you might know? not make it to I the end of the alphabet. <laughs> you know? but, but, you know, maybe there's a way of like passing it along, you know, right, or right. finding a way of building a house for it so it can continue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like I've the tree idea, I'm just kind of like, I don't know how performative it's going to be, but I'm just kind of like I'm. I'm starting to think of kind of like coming back after this time away of just like, and then I don't know if I'm going to get it, but applying for full, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we're probably not going anywhere. You know, for a while it's just been like, uh, I don't know if right. I'm going to stay, you know, mm-hmm. but now it feels like, I don't really feel like I got a huge choice mm-hmm. and it's like, well, let's do what I can with it. And so it's like, here's the platform of this, Big Ten University and just kind of like we gotta start making trees, mm-hmm. you know. Just like, oh yeah, and after the overstory, I mean, exactly. and the whole, and I'm sure you read the article in the Guardian where you know a small thing we can do to combat global warming is just simply plant more trees, right? Right. You know, and all of the like tree diseases that have happened here, and yeah. all the trees that have had to be cut down, and all the trees that were here, and I think that would be amazing. Yeah, and so that's that's a big thing that I want to do this Grove project idea is like right after Tiger I want to start but but finding ways of like like Rick's book you know of like coming at it like not only from a science point of view but also from a like a humanities storytelling sort of like cultural point of view of just like the root of every single every single religion there's a tree mm-hmm. you know root yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. All right. I could ask you like 20 more million questions, but I think we have to go and I have to go. That's great. That was Brett Ashley Kaplan and Deke Weaver in conversation. Dr. Kaplan is a professor and director of graduate studies for the program in comparative and world literature at the University of Illinois, where she also directs the initiative in Holocaust, genocide, memory studies. Deke Weaver is a performance artist, writer, and professor of new media in the College of Fine Arts at the University of Illinois. The next performance in his unreliable bestiary, entitled Cetacean, 
is expected to premiere in September 2023. You have been listening to EdgeFX, a production of CHE, the Center for Culture, History, and Environment in the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Addie Hopes, Rochelle Wilson, and me, Ben Uliano. This interview was recorded in the studio of WILL Illinois Public Media, with support from Jason Croft. A full transcript is available on our website, with graphic design by Claire Sullivan. The music you're hearing is by Julian Lynch. You can get all of our episodes sent straight to your computer or mobile device by subscribing to EdgeFX wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review, or tell a friend about it. That really helps connect us with new listeners. You can follow us on Twitter, at EdgeFXMag. And as always, keep up with the steady flow of great content about cultural and environmental change across the full sweep of human history at edgefx.net.